Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're on Team Human, coming to you alive from the basement media squat at the Queens College Laboratory for Digital Humanism. This is where the conscious beats the automatic, where autonomy triumphs over slavery, and we value anomalous behavior over predictable patterns. Resistance may be futile, but opposition is alive and well. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, master of human connection and consensus, Lumio co-founder Richard Bartlett. The most inspiring part was I felt from, at times we stepped into a process that unlocked a kind of collective intelligence, a collective identity, a collective empathy, and that to me, I think that's the promise of democracy. Richard came here all the way from New Zealand to share some new approaches to collaboration that he and his cohort have successfully migrated from Zuccotti Park to groups from Spain's Podemos to the Australian Parliament. Yes, it's time to occupy reality. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you're on Team Human. Part of being on Team Human means playing against some other team. But who are they? Team machine? Team capitalism? Team plain old mean? The beauty of the Trump era, if there is a beauty, is that it crystallizes what it is we're about. If the problem with Occupy was that we had no cohesive single message, now we've got a president, yes, remember that, a president, who seems to embody almost everything we stand against. He grabs women by the pussy. He denies climate change, or at least stands with Syria against the environmental health of planet Earth. He lies and he cheats. He trolls his adversaries on the internet. He makes up things to distract the media from his crimes. You know, they're all talking on the radio today about these non-existent tapes of Trump with the FBI director which has done more to derail coherent focus on obstruction of justice than any real facts could. What makes him the enemy of Team Human, perhaps more than anything, is this reliance on disorientation. Just thinking about Trump is unsettling and dysregulating, because that's how he's designed himself. Unless you abandon coherence, continuity, a sense of history and progress, you experience this anxiety and this frustration that we're all feeling. But if you do abandon all that frontal lobe stuff and just embrace the angry reptile, it's a whole lot easier to get through the day. And the angry reptile, it doesn't have to be some pro-Trump angry reptile. It just has to be stupid, polar, set in its ways, intransigent. We get relief by calling him Hitler or demanding tapes or in any way experiencing ourselves as the other side. 
but this very polarity puts us in his schema rather than our own. It's the dehumanizing oversimplicity that reduces our human, nuanced, full-spectrum understanding of the world down to the oversimplified, bigoted, and predetermined stance of the anti-humans or non-humans. If we listen to our revulsion and polarize to the extent we want to, well, then we're falling into the trap. It's the same trap that ISIS sets by trying to polarize Americans against our own Muslim populations. Create enough fear and loathing and otherwise good people will start drawing those lines. Just as some Americans fear anyone in a hijab, some progressives now shudder when they go by a house with an American flag over the door. Worse, our knee-jerk reactions to Twitter posts and misdirections makes us so predictable as to be ineffectual. Worst of all, we become utterly incapable of reconciling with the poor, confused souls who've surrendered to the fear and hate being fed to them by the irresponsible but well-funded propaganda arms of the Russo-American oligarchy. Yes, you heard that right. Team Human can't treat the other team as the enemy. It's a hard lesson, and it denies us some of the satisfaction of getting to hate the effing idiots who, left to their own devices, will surely kill us all. But it's one we have to learn. That's where a platform like Lumio comes in handy. Essentially an online analog of the General Assembly meetings protocols developed during the Occupy movement, Lumio seeks to transform winner-takes-all debates into everyone-wins consensus building. And that's why I'm so glad to have one of Lumio's founders, Richard Bartlett, right here, live and in person. My name is JT Rogers, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Sylvia Zia, and I'm on Team Human. I'm William Hoagland, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Pia Mancini from Open Collective, and I'm on Team Human. We're Team Human, coming to you alive from the Basement Laboratory for Digital Humanism at CUNY Queens College and online at teamhuman.fm. So welcome to, uh, to Team Human. Today I've got Richard Bartlett, one of the founders of Lumio.org, which is a uh, uh, an Inspiral enterprise. The easiest way to say it is it's an online platform that helps people uh, reach consensus and organize together in ways that uh, that they couldn't before. Uh, I mean, I was kind of around at the genesis of Lumio, not in New Zealand, but in New York. I was doing a conference called Contact, the Contact Summit. And uh, we were having some nice emails back and forth with Wellington, some people who were um, similarly inspired by the pre-Occupy kind of generative, connective ethos and demand for some alternative to uh, the way things were being done. And uh, then Occupy happened, and I think we were all together really inspired by... uh, not just what Occupy wanted, but the, the idea that Occupy was trying to establish a new normative behavior, a new way of interacting. And as far as I could tell, Lumio really were the, the, the first group to say, okay, how could we do this? Or how could the net or digital technology assist this? You know, not necessarily to make it happen at scale, but, uh, but who knows? I mean, is that, would that be accurate? Is that where you got sort of the original inspiration for Lumio? Yeah, and I, I think the uh, the peculiar thing, the unique thing is that, and this is both with Lumio but also with Inspiral, is this blend between people with expertise and humans, like facilitators, group process people, and then the people that have expertise in the technology, so all your engineers are digital. And, and it's the intention to put technology in service of humans. Well, because most of the time... Certainly in the business landscape, technology is here to help get humans out of the equation because they cost money or they intervene or they have values. Uh, whereas if we could just have a machine do it, then it's nice and clean. There's that aspect to it. And also I often just interpret it as like a social network problem where you have 
people that know about technology. You've got these engineers and they hang out with other engineers. And then you have these people that know about facilitation and group process and they hang out with other facilitators. And there's a like kind of tribal clash between those two and they just don't get together very much. And maybe um, there's something special about Wellington, which is that it's so small, you have to hang out with people that are not like you. Well, it reminds me back, you know, working in theater, that there were the, the actor-director people and then the techies, you know, and the techies, oh, they've got their lights and their sets, and people think, oh, that's this other, you know, this other tribe. But every once in a while, it comes together and everyone realizes, oh, we're all artists, we're all trying to promote uh, some kind of autonomy. And that's where the collective intelligence kicks in, right? It's like when you have someone that's somehow related to you, but different enough that you can learn something new, you know, similar enough that you can learn, but different enough that, that they've got access to some new information that you didn't have. And well, in a weird way, then the, uh, it's the variability of your digital technology people and your uh, human facilitation people. The fact that they could work together was what really fed the model that you ended up coming up with for Lumio, right? Yeah, I think the what we got from the tech side was kind of entrepreneurship, you know, like this idea of taking a very big ideal, like, oh, we want to do democracy on the computer, and then breaking it up into, okay, what are we going to work on this week? Like, what's a small chunk that we can deliver this week? Um, that's something that I hadn't really encountered until I met these kind of startup you know, they've got all the buzzwords like agile and MVP and lean and all this sort of stuff. Like it's all about how do we take a big idea and make it deliverable. And then the group process people, I think that uh, in the industrialized West, it's this like almost, it's almost a lost art. Like how do you get a group of people to come together as a group, you know, like to shed some of their individual boundaries and become a collective intelligence, a collective empathy, a collective whatever. I think that's a really rare thing. And so it's, like I said, that combination um, that's the spark that started us off. It's interesting. I mean, there are those who would say, well, the the Trump administration is doing just this. You know, he casts a bunch of people who have divergent views and throw them in a room and have them fight it out and see who wins. You know, how is that not what you're describing? Um. We do a lot of listening. <laughs> I think that's one of the key ingredients in it. I mean, wow, it's it's hard to say the word Trump without like sending me into shock. Like, ah, it brings in all this other um, nonsense. I, I think Trump, from what I can tell, and the Trump administration and the whole um, mechanism of it seems to be about producing a whole bunch of random noise and seeing what echoes. Like, it, it doesn't, I can't, I can't understand any coherence or intention or like okay we're going to do this and this is going to be the plan to get there it seems more like we're going to make a lot of noise and then just see what gets in the news today and what gets in the news tomorrow and there's enough people making enough noise that it seems to just like um <laughs> colonize our brain every day right well a lot of people would look at occupy and say that's what that was it was just a lot of noise and people sitting around in circles waving their hands you know what was actually going on and what what did you take from it to employ in Lumia? Occupy was literally the first time that I sat in a circle with other people. Like I'd never do, I don't remember ever having sat in a circle with people. Preschool and clap your hands, meals no, on I'm, the bus go round and round. <laughs> I don't think we did. I was in a I grew up in a little farming town, so I didn't I didn't get the benefit of sitting in circles <laughs> at preschool. But we didn't just sit in circles. We um tried to make decisions in circles and I hadn't done that before either. So I was trained as an engineer and an engineer is, is trained to, you know, get all the information and get a top down view and then make a decision, you know, like write a blueprint or a, a schematic or a bill of materials or whatever you're supposed to do as an engineer to sit in a circle and have to listen to these people and understand where they're coming from and what perspective they've got and why they've got that and how on earth can we add those things up into some co coherence. That was like being thrown in the deep end for me. Like I just hadn't, no one had asked me to do that before. And, and I think that's why it was noisy was we were all, almost all of us were beginners. Like there were, especially in Wellington, there were very few people that had any experience at all with activism at all. And then consensus based activism at that. For me personally, it shifted something very profoundly in my identity you know like i went from this attitude of i've got to have all the answers i've got to understand everything and process it and then come up with a good answer 
And now I'm much more like, I've got to ask good questions and I've got to listen to everyone else's answers. And then maybe I can, you know, reduce some of my ignorance in the process. And, and maybe through good listening, I'll get a holistic perspective of an issue. But I don't actually need to have the whole answer myself. I only ever have to bring my piece of the puzzle. I mean, that's an interesting, I mean, for, for me, uh, I've always been a, a solo writer. And for the last two and a half years now, I've been on the faculty at Queens College. And there are these meetings, we'll sit around a table and be talking about something, and then someone will talk about some scholar or line of thought or new feminist theory thing that I know nothing about. And right, my initial impulse is, I better write that down, and I've got to read all that because right, it feels as if it's my obligation to somehow have the whole answer in my head rather than to... Uh, I mean, delegate is the wrong word because it sounds like, you know, I'm in charge, but at least to let my executive function delegate that knowledge set to this other trusted person, you know, okay, so you know about permaculture, agriculture, you know about veganism, you know about feminist theory, and I know about technology and humanism and something else. And why, why that's okay, I guess coming from a, 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 an American Buckminster Fuller, great pirate kind of mindset this renaissance your renaissance individual it makes you feel really guilty or, or uh, like you're you're failing in some way not to have that knowledge on board mm-hmm. yeah the u.s is very peculiar i've been um doing work with groups especially groups that are trying to organize with we say less hierarchy and more collaboration whether they're explicitly consensus based or some other kind of thing but groups that are trying to be inclusive i've been working with them like um, a lot of them in Europe, a lot of them now in East Asia, and now this is my first time coming through the States and meeting a lot of groups. And I don't know how to say this, you know, politely, but people in the U.S. are just bad at groups. They're just, there's, there's so many, I think, so many underlying facets to the culture that set them up to just be bad at groups. And that's one of them, is this like, I have to have the answer for everything. And if I don't, that's the sign of weakness and, and we can't have, we can't have, we can't show any weakness. It's, a, it's terrible. I think some of the work that we're doing in Lumio is exactly that. First, people need to know each other well. They need to have a depth of relationship and understanding of who you are and a little bit of what your history is. And once you know each other, then you start to know what each of us are good at. And then once we know each of our strengths, it's really easy to delegate in a very implicit, fluid way to delegate. And decision-making becomes really organic. We've been to like, I think, 15 different cities in the last two months and uh, meeting with different groups and hosting workshops and so on. And basically everywhere we go, they give us, we get the same questions. And one of the questions that keeps coming back is basically, how do we include everyone? And I, I don't have a good answer for that apart from start by including a few people. Like, I'm, that's, the, that's the kind of the nice version of the question is how do we include everyone? The kind of more harsh version is how does it scale? You know, it's kind of a similar, similar kind of thing. And I'm like, first, if you can get 10 people to work together well, if you get that, then come back to me and then we'll talk about how to get 100 people. And then, wow, if you've got 100 people that are in some kind of harmony, doing a shared project where the relationships are good and you're just, you know, trusting each other to get on with it, then we can talk about scaling to 1,000, you know. But um, it's, it's like just about every space we walk into, people want to know, okay, so what are you doing about colonialism? What are you doing about sexism? What are you doing about... And it's like, I, I feel like I'm obligated to solve all the problems all at once before we even start anything. You know, it's like, I can't start until we've, we've got a good plan for solving everything all at once. Right. I mean, part of that is just the temptation of, uh, well, either big business or big politics. That Oh, well, if it's not going to scale up infinitely and become the size of the next great corporation, then... You know, we're not interested from a business perspective and from an activist perspective is, well, if it can't be applied to presidential politics, then it's worthless. And that's just not, that's insane. You know, (laughs) it's buying into the the notion that that the human species is operating at that scale, you know, when it's not, you know, it's certainly not any experiential humanity is not operating at that scale. I guess the the challenges that we're facing are massive, and so people want a massive response. And so I do I do want to see large scale change. You know, like I'm I'm not just um, let's only be in tribes and do our small thing. Like I think I I want to see a network of tribes, 
But the point is, I think someone needs, and this is, you know, a big opinion, but I think people need to be in a tribe or multiple tribes just to settle something in their, you know, social, biological needs. Like, I, I think I need to be in a small community that knows me inside out. That's how I make sense of the world. It's like an event happens and then I see your response and I see her response and his response and my response. And because I know each of those characters well, I can understand I can understand that event because I understand the shape of the, the person that it's been reflected off. And without that tribe, I'm just bouncing around in the social media space, kind of getting colonized by each meme that goes past. And it doesn't, doesn't feel like meaning, you know, it, it just feels like, ah, there's a noise that is reverberating in my skull. Um, but I need to be, I need to be in that small tight tribe thing just to be okay. Just to be like, before I go and do anything, just to be an okay person, I need to have that tribal thing. And then to have impact, I think the tribes need to be networked up. They need to be in, in connection with each other because it's very easy to get, you know, my tribe is the best or the other tribes are crap. It's really easy to get sucked into that thing. Yeah. I mean, economically, I guess you're talking about anarcho-syndicalism, you know, these lots of little cottage industries or cottage groups. But you're right. I mean, it's what I've been arguing here is that being human is a team sport. You, know, you can't be human alone. And when you try to do it, yeah, then you're then you are an, an atomized individual uh, up for up for grabs, and the algorithms will compete <laughs> to infect you uh, with their with their memes at that point, and that's how you get uh, this this sense of disenfranchisement we have in America. But you guys ended up building um, a platform which looked an awful lot like a version of Occupy's General Assembly, and maybe you could can kind of describe General Assembly and then how this is a, a an allegory or a, yeah sure hopefully or a, hopefully an improvement even mm -hmm. so the for me i think the general assembly was the main story of occupy um and uh, that's the main story for me and for some reason it didn't quite get told in that way but that was for me was the interesting thing was here's a group of strangers coming together and prototyping new democratic forms together and the experience of the general assembly for me was yeah sitting in a circle and discussing a topic, hearing from everyone, like practicing this thing where one person is speaking and everybody else is listening. And there's some rudimentary facilitation process for that, you know, so we add hand signals to indicate, I agree with what you're saying, or I disagree with what you're saying, or um, can you please hurry up and get to the point? Or, you know, we had these little augmentations to the way that we were speaking to try and make it a little bit more efficient and inclusive. And the process was we'd be discussing a topic like, what are we doing about food and shelter in this camp that we have invented? And then people would, after we've heard from a, you know, a range of people, someone would make a proposal and say, I think we should have the food working group and I think we should do this and I think we should do that. What do you all think? And so that proposal was put up to the group and said, you know, hey, everyone, what do you think about this idea? And the intention was we'd hear from everyone and if they weren't satisfied with the idea, we would improve it with their input. You know, just listen for, okay, well, if you don't like this, how, would, how could we change it so that you might agree? And through that process, time and time again, we came up with these proposals that were just far superior to what any individual could have come up with. And that to me was the, um, the most inspiring part was I felt from, at times, we, we stepped into a process that unlocked a kind of collective intelligence, a collective identity, a collective empathy, this collective organism that was just kind of better than any of the individuals in it. And, and that, to me, I think that's the promise of democracy. Like, I think that's why we go with this big kind of crowd of different people and try and bring them into coherence. And, I'd, yeah, I'd never experienced that outside of that space. And the other, I mean, the interesting thing about the General Assembly was it was not, most people are used to parliamentary debate, you know, where the, the issue is set up, are you for it, or are you against it? And then people argue each way, and then you vote, and, you know, 52 people get their way, and the 48 people don't get their way, and then you move on, with basically half the people upset all the time. Yeah. Slightly and, less than half. Yeah, slightly <laughs> less. Unless it's a, you're going with an electoral college, in which case you can have slightly more than half be upset and still get the result. But but the General Assembly sought to find consensus, in other words, to change the solution set as you went. And it had ways for people to sort of, I sort of object, or I could really object. You know, you put your hand up and that's like, no, I'm, 
I reject this utterly. I cannot go on with the decision being made that way. So that there were ways to um, sort of express just how much you were for or against Mm. something so that the group could really find a, um, not just a gray mishmash, but sometimes a a genuine synthesis, you Mm. know, almost a Hegelian, you know, transcendent truth out of this rather than, you know, what we do in the States is left-right kind of a thing. Yeah, and like I say, sometimes that process worked. Sometimes we managed to unlock that um, glorious, you know, beautiful, inspiring thing that just set everyone glowing. Like, wow, we did it. You know, like we came up with something that was far better than any of the individuals brought to start with. Sometimes we did that, and many, many, many times we didn't, you know. And I think that's partly because consensus is hard at the best of times, and then there's all these limitations that we put on it. So... Um, because we were in public space, we didn't have any boundaries. So we didn't have any way of saying, you know, these are the people that are committed. It was just these are the people that are here right now. And who's here right now was quite a random basis to make decisions from. You know, it's like it's the tyranny of whoever showed up. And um, whoever showed up is probably not going to be the people that have a bunch of jobs to work or that are raising their kids or that have mobility issues. or Like there's all these people that are not going to show up at that moment. And then the people who are always showing up are like this peculiar subset of people. You know, some of them are really, really agitated about one issue and they're just going to take up every time they get a chance to speak. They're just going to keep hammering on their issue because they're so passionate about it that they can't hear about anything else. And just that um, limitation of having to have everyone in the same place at the same time, it really set up a dynamic that I think as we did one assembly after another after another, it started selecting for a it selected for a particular kind of person and against a particular kind of person. And so what we wound up with was mostly these really aggressive men. That was mostly what was left there after maybe six weeks of doing this mm. process. And um, how that translates, you know, how the analog is for, for Lumio. Lumio is a discussion platform. First thing is you have a group, you have a defined group. You say, these, these are the people, it's like, it's my food co-op or it's my startup or it's my arts collective. These are the members. So that's for, for one thing. It's not just whoever just showed up. It's not like Facebook or something like that where people just turn up. It's a group. And then anyone in the group can have a discussion. You know, what are we doing about the signage or the budget or whatever? And then just like at the General Assembly, anyone can put a proposal and say, I think we should do this. What do you think? And it checks everyone's um, position, you know. Do you agree? Do you think it's good? Do you abstain? You know, I don't care. I'm happy to get out of the way on this one. Do you disagree? If you think it could be better, then disagree. Or then, yeah, we've got the block, which is the hand up saying, this is terrible. I've got a major objection. We need to do something. That is the same process. But because it's online, it's asynchronous. You know, people are participating in their own time rather than having to synchronize everyone and say hey we all need you in this meeting at this time in this place we need to make this decision before 9 p.m because you know it's getting late i need to put the kids to bed and removing the time and space constraints just really really shifts the dynamics of what you can do with that kind of decision making process and then do people come to it genuinely or i mean like any other system you could game it as you get as things get more intense. So let's say it would be uh, in our town. We had this big townwide debate. There's still people who are not friends over it about uh, making the new high school football field. Do we make it out of plastic artificial turf or do we make it out of real grass? And people who would start out, say, on the turf side or the grass side might just say, that's how I feel, period, block. You know, and go straight to block, just as in politics now, they'll go, let's go straight to a filibuster. You know, it's like everything goes to filibuster now because that's the tool you use to get your way. So I would guess part of the reason why you also have, you know, live facilitators come and kind of train groups how to use it is to try to engender a spirit of honesty and trust in these engagements rather than just bringing your former skill set onto this platform. Yeah. I think consensus only works to the degree that you care about each other. So if I don't care about you and you disagree or you block, then I don't care. It's like, oh, that's that's the guy that always disagrees with me. Who cares? But if I care about you and you disagree, then I want to know, oh, why is that? Like, is this going to do some harm to you if we pass this decision? And 
well, I care about you less when you want artificial turf. <laughs> <laughs> we've, like I said, we've been doing this tour of the US and um, hosting workshops and meeting with a lot of groups that are trying to work inclusively with the content that we're sharing. There's one slide about making decisions on the internet and then there's seven slides about all the other stuff you need to have in place to even be in a position where doing this kind of inclusive, transparent decision-making even makes sense. Like there's, there's so much more to it than, oh, we just need the right voting mechanism. And, you know, it's stuff like how do you deal with the power differentials that people arrive with, how some people um, carry a huge amount of influence in a group and some people have very little influence. Like how do you accommodate for that differential? And I, my answer, don't use technology for that. Use relationships for that and talk about it and have a discussion. Like what's, how's, the, how's the power in the room right now? Who's carrying it? Who, you know, um, who has access to it? And if someone else wants it, can they get it? And is it, is it healthy or is it unhealthy? You know, is it toxic? We talk about boundaries, like on what, who's allowed into this decision and on what grounds would we remove someone from that? You know, how, wh what are we going to do if someone gets close to that boundary? Or what are we going to do if they cross over that boundary? Like, there's it's an interesting one, too. I was just uh, yesterday doing a talk for uh, a credit unions conference. Do you know what credit unions mm -hmm. are? They're sort of like, like a, almost like a community-driven, a community-run bank, really. And they were bemoaning the fact that in America there's all these restrictions on who's – you have to have – a set of boundary conditions around your credit union. So it's either for all the steel workers are allowed to join this one or all medical workers of Pennsylvania are allowed to join that one. And they were saying, you know, this is, you know, these are evil restrictions put on us by government so we can't compete with banks. I'm like, no, actually, you know, the fact that, okay, Actors Equity Union has a credit union it helps them rather than hurts them because now you understand who's at the table. You understand, mm -hmm. you know, it's a it's a an existing bounded community, mm -hmm. which is much more likely to want to circulate value and decisions amongst itself because they care about one another's benefit in a way that some random infinite, you know, global co-op movement really won't have. Yeah, at that smaller scale, you have shared interest, you know, and that shared interest becomes a starting point. You can go, well, we all care about acting we all care about the theater like what what's best for the theater you can you can put that collective interest ahead of your own personal interest and you can make decisions on that ground i think one of the things we've picked up on this tour is people trying to make too much agreement at too too big a scale you know like trying to include everyone and get agreement is like it's extremely difficult i don't have a clue how you do it at large scale but i, I have an instinct that if we practice it at small scale we develop the competency and the appreciation and the skill, you know, just for like, how do you do negotiation? How do you learn to spot the difference between let's agree to disagree and if this goes ahead, I'm going to have to leave the community. You know, I think that's a, um, a skill and a competency that you develop over practice. You know, you just, just like anything else, if you want to get good at it, you've got to practice it. And we've got this emphasis on the big, big, big scale, like how are we governing our town or our state or our country? Um, but very little opportunity to to practice those skills in a small, safe, you know, bounded environment with 10 people or 100. And at least if we do that for a decade, maybe then we can start some of those skills can translate to other levels of community. But but just to make sure, I mean, certainly uh, uh, so our listeners understand you guys may have started out as a bunch of occupiers developing a piece of technology, but you ended up consulting and, and, and doing this for, for governments and England and stuff, mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is not just, you know, hippie communes making decisions about, you know, which, whether they're going to smoke indica or sativa, <laughs> right? <laughs> we can have another side <laughs> conversation about hippie communes because I've got a lot to say on that front. But yes, the, um, personally, I, I was only thinking about radicals when we started. I was like, there's a bunch of radical people and they want to organize in this radical way. Let's make a technology that's going to help them. And immediately, like as soon as we had the prototype out in the first like three or four weeks, uh, we had the invitation only thing, you know, it's where it's like, if you want to use this, get in touch. We just, people from all over the world and all different sectors got in touch with us saying, hey, we want to make decisions without always being in meetings. And we want to include people and hear from all of our staff or all of our citizens or all of our members or whatever, you know, whatever the group configuration is. It, it immediately, it felt like we'd triggered something that a lot of different kinds of people were interested in. And so at that point, um, we say we collapsed into legitimacy. So 
we um, were like, okay, this is not just going to be a project for activists. It's got to be something a bit more sustainable and a bit more wide in scope. And so since then, we've been looking at, you know, how do we structure ourselves? How do we fund ourselves? Um, how do we position ourselves? You know, just in, in marketing language, like how do we, how do we say we want, we want inclusive decisions rather than consensus decisions? Or wherefore, we help with your innovation and collaboration rather than we help you with your anarcho-syndicalism. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, a lot of companies are probably thinking, well, we would like to make decisions that look more inclusive. So will Lumio help us do that? Or is Lumio going to make them actually more inclusive? Yeah. In which case, who's running the asylum here? Yeah, yeah. There's this, um, the phrase, you know, people want to feel engaged. Yeah. That, always, that always makes me cringe. It's like, I don't want to feel engaged. I want to be engaged. It's like, I don't want to feel dinner. I want to have dinner. I'm hungry. You know, like, give me a, give me a piece of that. In companies, there is actually a real, I think, quite a, comprehensive movement towards decentralizing power and doing things inclusively. Um, companies are starting to learn that innovation happens when you get out of the way a little bit and give people more freedom and more safety to fail. And so you have these little pockets in companies. So mm -hmm. like the um, agile management methodology is kind of like anarchism for business. You know, it's like, hey, what if we just let people decide for themselves what they should work on this week instead of trying to tell them from outside? So you do have these little pockets of autonomy. Right. When well, they also see it as a as an extension of their libertarian ethos, you know, the best idea will survive. You know, you read the the, the manifesto of a company like Steam, you know, when they talk about, well, you're going to come in and you're going to have to fight for your idea and you're going to, if it survives, it'll survive. And if it doesn't, you'll have to join someone else's group. And, you know, so I think they look at it as, uh, you know, more like nature. Mm -hmm. Those pockets, though. It's very rare to see those pockets like inflate to take over the whole company. And by that, I just mean, at very least, there's a boundary which is, well, you've got three owners or you've got these shareholders that own it. And I'm on the mission I'm on is to inflate these little autonomous bubbles to take over the whole thing, you know? Right. Because I think the autonomy is great. And it's just. So the organization just becomes a cluster of autonomous bubbles. And then in some way, they're consonant enough with each other that there's a kind of a meta bubble happening. Well, that's Inspiral. That's probably one of the best descriptions mm -hmm. of Inspiral that I've heard. <laughs> it's some a meta bubble. Consonant meta bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> but right, it's so some sort of fractal organizational structure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that word fractal is kind of, it's kind of at the root of my hypothesis about the relationship between small-scale democracy and international or national-scale democracy is that... There's got to be some relationship between the small scale, like how we're relating together in groups of five to ten. I, I, there must be some similarity with, with how we relate to each other in, in groups of millions. Well, this is what the, I mean, in some sense, just in terms of pure influence, this is what the Koch brothers found out about America and what they paid for over the last 40 years is they paid to get conservatives in the state houses and in local elections because they knew that slowly over time, those people would have influence over larger decisions and larger ones and... They win. And what I'm reaching for is, you know, I think it's the U.S. Constitution that says something about government by the people. Yeah. And, and my interpretation of that is that the government should be basically run by amateurs and it should be um, accessible. You know, that, that the, the well general principle Well-meaning amateurs as opposed yeah, to just, yeah, yeah. you know, psychotic well amateurs. Well yeah. amateurs. Like it should be reasonably easy for a lay person to understand you know like how does this thing work how do decisions happen like how do i have influence i think they should all be kind of up for grabs and understandable and what we see in na nation states is quite the opposite that the decision making is this like vastly removed like we have professional decision makers and they're they're going to look after things for us you know we've got these technocrats that run the economy and oh don't worry about it it's very complex just trust us we've got it and i just i just don't buy it like i think I think the the underlying principles of how we manage large systems or how we manage difference or how we manage resources, like I think you should be able to explain them to an adult, even a young adult. Like there should be kind of there should be some direct access to them. And that's that's why I keep coming back to the small group, is that I think we can practice these skills in a small group and then we'll be in a much better position to approach and apprehend the larger ones. But there's something uh I guess the premise of what of your work is that there's something going on in decision making beyond simple utilitarianism. In other words, there's some weird X factor human 
thing happening. Otherwise, the machines could, they could just have a spreadsheet and say, this is the right decision. Yeah. And that's, like I said, we've got, you know, one slide about decision making and seven slides about all the other stuff you need. The first one is culture. And I would say we need to, if you want to organize in a inclusive, non-hierarchical, et cetera, kind of way, then your first job is to intentionally produce a different kind of culture. Um, every six months, our whole community at Inspiral, or as much of it as we can get together, will leave the work, leave the office, leave the city, and go on retreat. And the retreat is like four days, three nights, and you are bonding. You know, you are producing some kind of alternative culture that says, this is us. This, and what that looks like in practice, like we did a, um, we had a smaller gathering. It was just uh, the members, the shareholders. So there's like 30 of us. This is in January. And I was sitting in circle with 30 people. I do a lot of sitting in circles. I'm, I'm really addicted to it. Sitting with 30 people, and most of them I've known for at least five years. And most of them I have sat in circle with many, many times. And I've heard stories from them, both like from, uh, you know, these are my hopes and dreams. These are my anxieties. This is my grief. This is my fear. But also I've heard stories about their grandparents, you know, like when my grandparents were in the old country, they, 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 this is their ambition. And I've heard stories about their kids and about um, their grand, what their ambitions are for their grandkids. And so sitting in that space with these people, it's like there's such a depth there's extraordinary depth of relationship there that settles something for me it's like i'm so seen when i sit there with those people like i um it's like i have access to this this collective organism that that most people don't have access to and my hypothesis is that if more people had access to a, a group that like that they would just have they'd just be in a better state you know they'd be healthier more well more able to do stuff after that but all the emphasis on trying to do stuff, I think, is getting in the way of people getting to that state of coherence and belonging and collective health and well-being. Right. I mean, in some ways, it's got it's got the medium and the message reversed. You know, the the great projects we undertake maybe are less about the goal of the project than they are the process of just getting to work together on something. I think that was one of the things that was happening at Occupy too was just this emphasis on affect you know like on um affect rather than effect yeah exactly like looking at each other in the eye and be like wow a whole other person let me get to know you and yeah it's probably going to take a long time and that's okay like w the sense of urgency is largely constructed from the outside yeah i know it seemed like a, the the whatever the protest against wall street was really just the premise you know, the excuse to come together and occupy reality together and say, well, what is a new normative style of engagement? I feel the same about Lumio. Like building software is just an excuse for me to be in deep relationship with a few people and learn how to do shared power, shared decision making, shared resources. Like it's great that we've got this excuse at software. So software's buzzy and people are like, oh, we want to use your software. That's cool. <laughs> I'm glad that people are using it. Um, but really, it's just like, I want to learn how to play well with others. I know we've got uh, you know some listeners who are getting to do that. There's a, uh, a woman we're going to speak with actually in a couple of weeks who's got a bakery in Vermont, you know, and she and her workers they're a community of people working together, you know, or um, some of the platform cooperatives that we're seeing emerge now are. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I know. I don't know if we have time to really talk about hippies, but they look from the outside, I think. They look to people as, oh, these are kind of hippie commune kibbutzes. They're a throwback. Mm -hmm. They're just going to lead to laziness mm -hmm. and uh, drug taking. Um, but but they're actually, you know, quite efficient, productive, safe harbors yeah. in this world. One way that I describe Inspiral is just that it's an urban commune. So it's a commune in the sense that we're learning how to do shared resources. So you have, you know, these groups of, some of them are like groups of five people that are sharing all of their income. You know, like the freelancers that are going, well, if we pull all of our income, we're going to smooth out the peaks and troughs of being a freelancer. So that's like, that's pure communal behavior, people learning how to share. Um, but unlike the communes of the 60s and 70s, we're staying in the city. We're still engaged in the marketplace. We're still like 
just kind of somewhat normal folks. Like we haven't completely removed ourselves and said, ah, you know, to hell with it. We're going to have to go and, and be remote. I think civilization, you know, in the city, I think that does have a kind of edifying force. I, I, I am a big believer in cities for that reason. That I think it kind of, well, I think a lot of crazy behavior gets <laughs> developed outside of the city. You know, like uh, creep, a lot of the communes went into these really, really creepy places because they didn't have any kind of external oversight going, hey, maybe, maybe what you're doing is really gross and you should stop that. <laughs> they had too much isolation, I think. And so by staying in view of others, I think that, kind of augment some of the worst side of the communes. And there has there has been this ongoing theme within Spiral where we're like, are we just a cult? Are we just like a 21st century cult? And and I have and it's serious, you know, you've got to keep coming back to that question and go, is this a cult? And I think one of the things that makes the difference is there's no charismatic leadership. I think that's a really big difference. Mm-hmm. That, and we've we you know, Inspiral has a founder, but he's now the ex founder. He's like really taken explicit steps to disempower himself. And the other aspect is so much of what we're doing is transparent. Like you can go online and see all of our issues. Literally, we've got an issues board that has all of our issues on it and you can see them, you know. And I think that that's an, like an edifying, edifying force. And yeah, the, um, there is this emergent sort of bubbling up of new communes, new tribes, whether they're platform co-ops or they're collectives or whatever. And I agree, they can be like extremely productive because when people are engaged, you know, when they are engaged, not just when they feel engaged, when they are empowered, not just feel empowered, they get productive. They get extremely productive. And that, that's one of the um, motivations for me going around and trying to share this model and, and help people get into these ways of working is that you're just so much more productive when you're working from your heart and not working under the threat of coercion or bribery, you know? Like, those are the, those are the two main forces Carrot that we use. Stick. Carrot yeah. stick, but when you're when you're just moving from well, this is what makes me come alive. Well, people really deliver a lot, and when they know each other well, they're incredibly ready to to move. You know, like we've seen, I've seen a few times in Lumio where we've shifted our entire strategy in the space of like an hour. Like the whole organization has done this massive pivot because people are in a, a, a healthy. The relationships are in a healthy state, so that when things are not working, we can just say. Yeah, hey, things things are not really working. Maybe we could do them differently, and it doesn't have to be this big dramatic like, oh, this faction is warring against that faction again, and that kind of resilience and adaptability is a huge, huge advantage to having people working as equals. Well, right, and working as if their relationships with one another matter more than uh, what particular path the group is taking. Yeah, and that relationship thing—it's just like comes back over and over and over again and it's so simple and obvious but um it's like i don't know how many different ways to say it to people it's like when we're like we were just in Asheville in north carolina and this was the first time someone really clicked before i said it um when i was describing in spiral he's like ah we're just a group of friends that help each other out (laughs) bingo (laughs) and we've got to put all this other like you know structure and language and justification on it but that's it we're a bunch of friends helping each other out and just learning how to be good friends, you know, being a kind of friend that knows how to host and knows about hospitality, knows about sharing, knows about supporting you when you're down and, and um, kind of investing in your future. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, that to me is, is like the, um, it's, it's building my own resilience for whatever the future might be if I've got good friends around me and I know how to be a good friend. That's a good operating principle for Team Human, I think. Yeah, yeah, and um, some people, some people get it. Like some people have a, an instinct for a relationship, and they're like, "Ah, oh, yes, let's do more of it." But so many people just don't get just, it yet. Don't get it yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's part of this trip. This hyper- testing the hypothesis that we can share it, whatever it is. Right. That we can go, "Hey, this is this is the good thing. This is the juice. This is the relationship stuff where people feel good about each other, and they don't all have to agree all the time." But you know. <laughs> They're trying to trying to just infect each other with that with that kind of culture. Well, thank you, and thank you for infecting me and infecting Team Human with. I won't even call these memes because that makes them sound like little dead things. With these these uh, ways ways of being and and interacting. Uh, to find out more about Inspiral and Lumio, I guess go to lumio.org. 
to start. And you can see the story there or uh, out one frame level to uh, inspiral.org and see uh, there's uh, 10 or 15 other uh, companies, we'll call them, investigating new ways of using uh, technology and humans together to uh, solve a host of, of problems you may not even have known existed. You've been on Team Human with Lumio founder Richard Bartlett. You can find out more about Lumio at lumio.org and more about Team Human at teamhuman.fm. This show is fueled by its listeners, whose generous donations keep us recording, editing, and uploading. Among our many team members are William Lee, who just made the biggest single donation we've ever received, Brandon Holmes, Ryan Tafoya, B. Clayton Hackett, William Malison and Chris Kane, and so many others, including Suzanne Sloman of Green Rabbit Bread in Vermont, who we'll be speaking with later this month. You can become a member of the greater Team Human community by going to teamhuman.fm. Team Human is produced and edited by Stephen Bartolome. And I'm Douglas Rushkoff. I'll be in London later this week doing a free event on Friday evening called Virtual Future Salon at the Hospital Club. You can find out more about that at rushkoff.com. Until next week, keep finding the others. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.